0: Hello and welcome to The Huddle, brought to you by Wilson, .wilson au.wilson.com for all your sporting needs. The official ball of the NBL and it is grand final week. The grand final series between Melbourne United and the Perth Wildcats, tipping off tomorrow night in RAC Arena um, for game one, games one and two in Perth. The two best teams matching up in the grand final and to preview to break it all down, to rip the whole thing apart in advance of tip-off. I've got two of the greatest of all time, Andrew Gaze and Damian Martin, uh, joining me to go through it. Now, um, it was a great chat. It was a long chat. We, we, we looked at all the different elements of the series at both ends of the floor, the battle of the boards, um, the different matchups that we're going to see. We, we also begin the conversation, a little debrief about the Gazeys, The Andrew Gaze trophy going to Bryce Cotton, the Damian Martin trophy going to Justin Simon. We get the two legends thoughts on that. And also on the news today of the Boomers Cuts um, with those six guys being excluded from the squad and uh, Brian Gorge in Basketball Australia whittling the group down to 19. We get the uh, former Boomers thoughts on that. And then we get stuck into the grand final preview. And I tell you, it was an enthralling conversation for me listening to the two legends uh, thrash it out and things got a little wild late in the piece when Damo's um, uh, connection drops out, his battery breaks down, his phone goes kaput and uh, then all of a sudden we get him back and um, we've got the whole Martin family. Well, most of the Martin family in amongst it as Brittany Martin joins us for some grand final predictions. So look out for that late in the piece. In the meantime, sit back, relax, up next, Andrew Gaze and Damien
1: Martin.
0: All right, let's do this. We've got uh, Drewy and Damo. We've got the, the greatest scorer in NBL history and the greatest defender. And as we know, Damo, defense wins championships. So oh, had, to, <laughs> oh my God. had to get you two That's fellas a- on. So good. To preview the granny with you, fellas.
1: The, the funny thing is, just on that, the the corny little ring thing I did, they actually weren't even my rings. I don't know where I put a couple of them. So they're actually Jesse Wagstaff's for that stunt. So on the day of semi semifinal, I've had to, had to call him like, Jesse, don't ask why, but can I borrow all your championship rings? And he's like, you're an idiot. Of course you can. Uh, and then I was trying to like talk a bit of smack to Gazy, who is the goat. And then uh, after I had to put him back in their, in their little... Uh, packages and back to Jesse and say thanks so they weren't even mine to be honest
2: <laughs> it was very funny I was not aware that um that you were able to bring that type of human to the table don't know. <laughs> but between the mullet type arrangement and then uh, the rings I tell you what we're starting to embrace that humor and it's uh, it's very nice
1: very nice to see uh, oh, peaked early I'm done now I'm out of ideas <laughs> I'm very great that I'll be joined by narrowly Meadows on the courtside commentary because I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> outstanding, outstanding.
0: Um, I thought for a man who was on the uh, Gazies last night for a total of seven seconds... He completely just stole the Dominated. show. He did. Dominated. See, I, I usually like, it's
2: very humbling, of course, because um, I looking like I'm a naming right sponsor to the uh, event. But uh, it's very humbling to be there. So I sort of go with the line and length type stuff mm-hmm. when it comes to those types of uh, events. But Damo, he did, he did set the room
0: abuzz with well. uh a little bit of humour. Well, get used to it. I mean, the things named after him. Now we've got the we've got the Drewie Trophy, we've got the Lindsay Trophy, we've got the Damo Trophy. So uh, you have to come up with something new each year, Damo.
1: Well, I'm officially, <laughs> legally changing my surname to Gays. Just to pick up the, format <laughs> That's of it. Up the other awards. Hey,
2: uh, you be welcome into the family, my friend. Well, uh, um, we're not we're not sure about that uh, that emphasis on the defensive end, but we're happy, to, <laughs> we're happy to we're happy to broaden our horizons and just uh, bring in new concepts.
0: Well, well let's, look, hey, let's quickly just talk about those awards last night. Your two awards, Drewy, um, Bryce, three MVPs now, ties the great Leroy Loggins, which mm. anytime you mm. mention in the same sentence as that great man, you're, you're in very, very good company. Thoughts on Bryce reaching that level?
2: No, nah, it's extraordinary and thoroughly deserved. I think he's been able to play at a, a level. Uh, a very very high level for an extended period of time and we've seen with imports in the past that you come in and sometimes you can have a year or two teams start to figure you out and the going can become very tough but uh, despite everything that's thrown at him he continues to deliver deliver championships and play at a, uh, an extremely high level and I think it's probably better for, for Damon to, to also speak on him because in everything that I've seen him do, both on the floor, the way he carries himself off the floor, he conducts himself in a way which he's one of those guys that you love to see at the, uh, at the very top of the table because of the, the, um, the way in which he goes about it. It's one thing to be a superstar on the floor, but sometimes it's not always combined with the way in which you uh, carry yourself and represent your team off the floor. And we've been lucky in the NBL and in Australia in general that, that um, I guess our culture lends itself to not copying uh, the, the, the old no dickhead policy generally sorts of people out. So we don't have to deal with it a lot. But with, with him, he just seems like an, an exceptional young man who's um, playing at a very high level. And I don't think anyone begrudges him, uh, albeit that there, are, there were many that were worthy Uh, no one's really begrudged him that title because uh, the evidence is what we see on the
1: floor and off the floor. Mm. Yeah, I I completely agree. And and obviously I'm biased because former teammate, still a dear friend of mine. But for me, it's it's, it's not just what he puts on the court, game in, game out, because you've got to realise there's probably more pressure... When you play for the Wildcats, because of the expectations, it was probably we put on ourselves to be honest more than anything. But he is a two-time MVP, which means a lot of the scouts are based around how are we going to stop him. And he sees more double teams than anyone, but he continually responds with incredible performances. And then you look at John Mooney now, first year in the NBL, first year as a pro. He really brought him along when people were saying, "How hey, you going to replace Nick K?" Now Mooney, 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 Mooney was great with double doubles in college, but I think without Bryce, we see a different type of player. And he mm. just makes everyone so much better because of the amount of confidence he instills in you, amount of space he provides, and you just always think you're in with a chance to win. Mm. So they put aside all of that. Off the court, is the most humble guy he could meet. And what he's gone through personally in the last 18 months, last night's MVP for me was the most special of the three he's won because he's dealt with that pressure that comes with already being a two-time winner. Dealt with the pressure of playing for a team that's trying to get that elusive three-peat with so much turnover in the off-season. But back home, you know, he, he lost his brother. His, his brother's passed away. He's so close to his mum in particular. Hasn't been able to see her face-to-face. He's become a dad himself. Like... You know, your your hair, my heart was just breaking for what he's gone through personally, but you would not have any idea that was going on behind the scenes because Mm -hmm. he was what he's still doing on the court. And then throw in a a season-ending injury. Yeah, he's one of those guys that when they say, don't meet your idol, they always let you down. (laughs) He's contrary to that. He's that and more. And you walk away going, what an incredible story he's got. He's exceptionally humble. And he inspires you, even though he's so quiet, both with the words he uses and the performances he's produced so far and will continue to do so. I was over the moon that he won it. Uh, And to be honest, I sent him a couple of videos, both from myself and my four-year-old. I think he got sick of hearing from me, but I uh, have quickly turned in from a teammate to his biggest fan. (laughs) That's (laughs) great.
0: Uh, Damo, Defensive Player of the Year. Mitch Norton was right in that race. I actually thought he, he was going to get it. But Justin Simon, by a long way, when you look at the votes, actually, the coaches and the captains gave him a whole bunch of votes. Uh, thoughts on him being the first ever recipient
1: of the Damien <laughs> Martin Trophy? Oh, uh, look, I did think it was going to come down to, to Simon and Norto and their different style of defenders. You know, Simon athletically is incredible and, he, and he's more that apply the pressure up and in. He's always going to get more steals than someone like a Norto. Whereas Norto just makes you earn everything. You know, he, he doesn't fail. He slides. He plays with his hands in the air, dives on loose balls. And it honestly was a pleasure to be able to see both those guys courtside when commentating the semifinal series because they just stood out. And, and very rarely does a defender win you the game. And we had both teams that were going to get, qualify for the grand final off the back of either Simon or mm. Norto. And, you know, whether it went to one or the other, they're both deserving of it. And, yeah, both incredible at what they do at that end of the court.
0: Drewy, while we're talking about Norto, late uh, breaking news today, um, the Boomer squad has just been cut down from 26 to 19 ahead of the, the trip to Las Vegas in preparation for the Olympics. Six guys cut, Dengadel, Mitch McCarron, who we're going to see in this grand final series, Will McDowell-White, and Thon maker and two guys from the wildcats will Magne and mitch norton what, what were your takeaways from seeing those names emitted from the squad well i think uh we're blessed in this country that this the depth of talent that we have available these
2: days and uh it, it's there's going to be really worthy guys that uh that are going to miss out i think probably the biggest thing is that historically, and I'm going back a a long time, you used to be able to get all the guys together and compete and see how they interact with each other. And it it probably provides a better opportunity to understand, well, what team, what, what, what guys are going to come together in, in a way in which that gives yourself the best chance to win. Unfortunately with the circumstances and just the nature of basketball throughout the world these days, they don't have that same opportunity so these guys that you mentioned, and, and Mitch Norton, and, and Will, and you know, even someone like Dan Adele, it's a little bit different because he was mm. playing with the coach. But mm. uh, when you combine them with these other players, sometimes your whole perception can change. Mm. And not having that opportunity, I think, hurts those guys. But hopefully, they um, they stay motivated. They want to be involved uh, in in the long term because. You know, the, the 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 nature of international basketball these days, it, it, opportunities can come up when you least expect it. So mm, mm. they are all worthy. And um, uh, I still think, though, that, that the, the final squad that they've now put together, the 19, uh, it's all very good and well to say, well, those guys missed out. And some may argue that, well, they should be in, but then who are you going to take out? Mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> those players that you're going to take out, you'd be making similar arguments to those that are in. So it's, um it's a setback, but um, I still think that we've got a really good squad that, that, that Brian's put together and, uh, and, and hopefully it, it, all the stars align and we have an opportunity to be um, putting medals around the necks of the 12 Australians that we eventually select. And I think um, despite recent history and the bad luck, Dano should have a, a medal around his neck if not for one mm-hmm. of the most horrific officiating decisions in the history of the competition. Mm-hmm. But um, So hopefully that we uh, will see that. And I'm very confident that we will see that in a month or so's time in
0: Tokyo. I think probably the one that maybe raised a few eyebrows for people looking on this morning was that Ryan Brockoff held his spot. Hasn't really super impressed in his short time in the NBL after what was a, just a heavily disrupted six or nine months For him, Um, What are your thoughts on, you know, those guys, Maka, Norto staying home now and and Brokhoff gone with the squad over to Las Vegas?
1: Oh, look, I I think Brokoff's in my final 12, to be honest. I think he's booking a ticket and going to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people who have only seen him in the NBL probably may have a different opinion. But having played alongside him uh, (laughs) for a number of years, what he offers out on the court, we probably didn't see that utilized just because, you know, Southeast Melbourne play more out of a pick and roll, whether it's from the side or in the top, use him to space the floor. Whereas in that Australian team, you'll see some pin downs run for him. You'll see Paddy Mills go off the dribble, create, kick out to him. But he's just one of those, he's Mr. Reliable. I know Joe Ingalls is going to play big minutes, but there's going to be times where you want Joe to be out of rest, you want Paddy to be out of rest who's going to step up, rebound, run the floor, space the court. And then if you need a clutch bucket, you, you run a play for him. And, and he's been there, done that. And a six foot eight, once he's tried, he's hard to guard and block that shot. So no, not only does he make this cut for me, I have him in the final 12. Mm. And I think if you would ask guys like Patty Mills, Joe Wingles, you know, Aaron Baines, the guys that have been there, done that, and will have a big say in who makes the final team. I think all of them will say, yeah, Rowdy deserves a spot. Mm.
2: And I think the other thing that although offensively he hasn't um, had the opportunity and delivered what I think a lot of people have done, I think we've seen enough in in the game so far that hasn't been recognised too much in general, Mm. but certainly from my eyes, I think that you can see what with his size and his basketball IQ of what he can do on the defensive end. And when, if you're going to be, and and let's hope that it is the case. If Ben Simmons is going to play a huge, a, a significant role with the Boomers, yeah. you need guys that can spread the floor. Mm. And that yeah. you know when you when you when he if he's going to be one of the the central pieces to to the team, guys like Chris Golding and Ryan Brockoff, they they certainly go up in in their value. And oh, I'm not so sure I'm um, as far along as what Damo is, but I think that despite what you've seen in the NBL, that's not the lens that I'm seeing it through as far as his prospects, but Mm -hmm. there are some, I think that there are some, uh, some other alternatives that they they could also be looking at, but he certainly for me should be on that plane going to this camp and you should be taking a really close look at him Mm. because of what, you know, the evidence we've
0: seen Mm. him in other competitions and with the boomers in the past. You've got to have plenty of shooting, Right. I mean, you, uh, after you and, and hammer and, and um, you know, there was a, put, a sort of a changing of the guard there in the t- turn of the century, we went through a period of time with the national team where we lacked perimeter shooting and it really hurt us on that stage. And I feel like in this, this recent era, the demo obviously has been a big part of um, where we've been so close to that medal. with Patty and Joe and Brockoff has played a big mm. role in that um, Chris Golding, like having, world-class shooting out there as well as those elite bigs and excellent defense. I think that's a major, major factor. And Brokoff has shown on that stage that he's, he could be a big part of that. Oh,
2: no doubt. And, and I think that when you're speaking about shooting, uh, for whatever reason, I think Joe Ingalls has been a, an unbelievable ambassador of the game. I think he's made an outstanding contribution and has played at a really, really high level with the boomers the way he works in pick and rolls, the way he can distribute the ball, absolutely, it's been phenomenal. So I don't th- think, though, if you look at the the, the the campaigns, the more recent campaigns, we've actually seen the best of Joe Ingalls shooting with mm-hmm. the Australian team. And
1: mm-hmm.
2: he, he I, I think he's, we've still got more to see in that. And he hasn't replicated the, the shooting that he's been able to demonstrate with the Utah Jazz Hasn't necessarily replicated that uh, with the boomers. Now, people here thinking, you know uh, that, that is not a that is not a crack at Joe because he has been brilliant. brilliant, absolutely brilliant." So it's it's. But all I'm saying is that there is more to give and more to get out of Joe to help with those things that that, that you're talking about. And if it's not him to to be able to spread the floor um, in all positions these days, I, I mean, I'm. I, it's hard to tell what is a good and bad shot these days when you're watching any uh, any um, team's play. But yeah. if you look at Jock and the way he's shooting the ball, it was his perimeter game that really got Melbourne United back in it the other night. Um, Baines, he's now stepping out and shooting threes. Uh, you, it's not just stereotypically your, your wings and guards that you're relying on your shooting for these days. Everyone's Everyone
1: seems to have a licence. So, Sorry, guys, here's one, here's one on Bainesy. So, we had Brett Brown as the head coach, and this was back when Bainesy was a back wall. He got selected yeah. to be a basket player, but at this one camp in particular, he just kept letting the ball fly. And so, you know, mainly from the elbow, maybe a step further. And anyway, eventually Brett had had enough. He was like, all right, Bainesy, if you want to be able to shoot this shot in games, go and make me eight out of 10 right now. Yeah. And everyone, oh, he's about to get ripped here. <laughs> Predator Bainsey, he stepped up, made nine out of 10 and was like, next question. And then he, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never forget the confidence he had and now he's a three point shooter, but it backfired on Brett big time that one.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Damo, um, the prospect of the Boomers going into this Olympics campaign, having an all NBA, all defensive first team guy Step right off the NBA hardwood and into the into the team, and a guy from the all defensive second team in Matisse mm. Thybul. Two of the best defensive players on the planet rolling into the squad to play a large load of minutes. How does that excite
1: you? Oh, I think it's massive. I mean, uh, I'm with Gazi. I think we're going to see them win that elusive medal. Just a matter of which color it's going to be, and in those big games, you know, whether you're playing, you know, Serbia in the semifinals, to be able to put a big body like a Benny Sibillin, Simmons, like if we'd had him to guard a Tia for example, or someone who really gets to, you know, Serbia or whoever, France, whoever it may be, it's just something we probably didn't have in the past where Paddy can focus on defence, Delhi can focus on running the team. The most inspired I've ever been in a basketball game, I actually didn't step foot on the court. I rode the bench for that first game we played against Serbia, uh, you know, the second game of the Olympics and the first game we played France. And if you go back and watch how hard, Patty and Delhi in particular fought every single screen every single pin down it was inspiration i was getting pumped on the bench and because we saw that Kevlish subs in and does the exact same thing but all of a sudden instead of these guys playing 30 plus minutes where there has to be wear and tear regardless of how frequently fit they are you know now we can have Benny go out there and play 25 patty only have to play 20 delhi 20 at Matisse, like whoever it's going to be, just like this is exciting, mm. not just because of how much quality there is, but how much depth there is. So that come semi-finals, we've got incredible defenders, incredible shooters, incredible big man, where they're still feeling relatively fresh. We're going to see mm. their best basketball at the right time of the of the tournament.
0: Mm. Those guys, um, you talk about those games against Serbia and France. The, the closest I've seen resembling that in recent times was Mitch Norton on Tyler Harvey in that semi-final series between the Wildcats and the Hawks. And on the flip side, Shea Ely and Sam McDaniel in mm. the second half of game three against Kiefer Sykes. Um, and we talk about Jock Landahl and, and Todd Blanchfield and the perimeter shooting that those two teams had to get them to the semifinal. But their defensive efforts led by those guys were massive. And now we're here. We've got the top two teams from the regular season into the grand final series. It's a little different than what we thought we were going to have mid-season where we'd be sitting here talking about how do Melbourne United slow down Bryce Cotton? That's not a conversation we're going to have. But, Drewy, I'll go to you first. What are your overarching feelings about Perth and Melbourne winding up as the two teams in the granny? Oh, well, there's no doubt
2: that defence is going to play a, a big factor. Uh, the evidence that I've seen from the Perth Wildcats and Damien be way more qualified than, than I, that, that since they've lost Bryce... Uh, their emphasis on their structure, the amount of the the proportions at which they start go to their flex options. And everyone just thinks flex is is a a baseline cut in the down screen. It is way more than that with all the variations that you you can go to, but that is the foundation for what they they do. And they get so many things out of it, but the way in which they go that they've relied on that as opposed to their other options, whether it's the horned actions, the other, uh, the other actions, that they've clearly skewed it to that because they want to control the tempo and they want to get it through, get good shots and create shots through their systems rather than just relying so much on on-ball. Yeah, they still do that, but it's going to be more of a, 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 a passing action um, to get to a destination. And that, that changes in the last six to eight seconds as opposed to many other teams to get to that point. The process that they go through in order to get to that point is, um, is a lot different. And and I think we've seen it with some of the other games. The teams that just come out, they might be taking a shot in the last six to eight seconds that ends up in an on-ball, but there's been bugger all to get to it. It's just standing around and here we go. We're just it's, it's almost token action. And then they get to an on-ball. Yep. Whereas the Pir- Perth Wildcats through their system have now got something that, that their strategy is clearly recognisable and it is a leap. And um, I think that that is going to be the way that they're going to continue to go about it. Control the tempo, and when they are controlling the tempo, the other thing it does it puts you in better defensive situations. And Melbourne United they want to get up and down. They want to run the floor. They're prepared to get to action a whole lot quicker than than what Perth Wildcats have, have been doing in more recently. Uh, and if provided that they that, that through controlling and helping your defense through your offense, I think that that neutralizes some of the strengths of uh, the the Melbourne United. Melbourne United, to me, have more depth and, a, a, and overall, if you're just talking in a broader sense, have more talent. But whether or not that the the strategy, the experience that that uh, that the Perth Wildcats can implement and how effective they can be, and how effective uh, Melbourne United can be to push them out of that stuff, I think that's. That's really the question. Sure, you've got individual matchups, and we get caught up in all those because it, it's a sexy way to, to look at it. But to me, the, the outcome is going to be more on strategically
0: how and which the teams are going to go about it. Mm. Demo, um, we heard Dean Vickerman talk about this in the post-game presser uh, after winning Game Three against Southeast Melbourne, saying. We've got to completely change our mindset defensively. It was all about guarding the on ball action against Southeast Melbourne with Kiefer Sykes and Kyle Adnum and Isaiah Liafa. Going to this Wildcats team, as Drewy talks about, it's all about off the ball, how we handle those actions, the down, the cross screens, the, the uh, down screens, um, and all that stuff that's being run for Todd Blanchfield in particular at the moment. And have you seen those? Those subtle changes that Drew is talking about in these last four or five weeks without Bryce, a bit more of a focus on, I mean, there's no, they're not slapping, You're not. they're not slapping on those drag screens in transition yeah. like they do for Bryce Cotton. Are you seeing that and a little bit more out of the post as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. Gazy nailed it. That's 100% what the, they've had to do since Bryce has left. There's two big changes they had to make. One, who they are offensively, because instead of it being 60% flex and then 40% a bit of everything else, where that large majority involved Bryce in on balls that's some part of the the offense, is now, okay, we have to be a little bit more structured. Now, if it's a kick ahead to Norto, if he finds himself on the wing, they'll still go into a drag screen. If it's a kick ahead to pretty much anyone else, you're going to see it be either a pull-up three, an early post-feed, or they're going to get into flex. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be a hard scout for Vickerman you're going to know what they're going to do mm. but there's so many reads within that flex offense and you know skill gets you to the finals to an extent but it's the intangibles that wins you a championship and we saw that with you know Perth advancing to the grand final you know you talk about North. my biggest concern after Bryce left wasn't can the Wildcats stay in the game for the first 35 minutes it's what happens in the last five minutes when it didn't matter what was working for the first 35 minutes at times for the Wildcats we know we're going to beat. We're going to get the ball in Bryce's hands. And if he wants to run out of horns, drag screens, single or doubles, that's on him. But the last five minutes was Bryce's time. Now it's like, okay, what are they going to do? Are they going to continue to run the flex and, and win it at the offensive end with big shots made by a Blanchfield or a Mooney? What we saw the other night is we actually won, the Wildcats won the game at the defensive end mm. with massive plays by Norto. And, and for me, the telling point of the game was Norto, regardless of playing with a busted hip. There was one possession where he had no right to get that. But the difference between the intangibles and skill is willingness. And him diving on that loose ball when it should have been a Hawks possession, everyone fed off that. And you feel 10 foot tall when you see someone capable of winning a possession like that. And that led to easy buckets because it's not you're taking it out of the hoop. And having to run a set where it's pressure on one player to make a big shot. Now we're in a fast break. Everyone's feeling up and about. And that's what one is off the back of defense. Whereas in years gone by, it's Bryce making game-winning shots, huge plays on the ring, getting to the free-throw line, whatever it may be. And I think they learned a lot from that win because now it's, we play defense, we can still win a championship without Bryce. Mm. um, Because that's obviously been taken away. And, And that's what excites me is seeing, you know, what's above players' shoulders now and that willingness to apply a game plan and then go out there and do it under the brightest lights with the most pressure of the season.
0: Huge spanner has been thrown into the works. A a big twist, I think in the plot here of this grand final series is that games one and two are both going to happen in Perth. I mean, Melbourne United earned that home court advantage, but with the way of the world and the COVID situation and the border controls, they don't have it and they just need to accept it. And they've made that agreement that that that's how it's going to be. Drouy, this is some stuff from the, the, the great Mark Slocum. The teams that won, that won game one of a grand final series have won the last 12 championships in a row mm. and 23 of the past 24 overall. Now we know Melbourne United are 2-0 and in RAC Arena this season. In the 40 years that the Wildcats have been in the NBL, no opposition team has ever won three games in Perth in the same season. 36 teams have had at least three games in Perth. None of them have got that done. Now, how do you feel like this situation that one and two are both going to be in the jungle impacts on this series?
2: Yeah, well, when you talk about that, it's now uh, 24 out of the last 26 series because, Mm -hmm. of course, we saw it with Perth dropping that one. There. That, that That is not the last 26 years of Grand Final Series. I think you, the other
0: stat you mentioned, it's 11 out of the 12, is it? The last... Last 12 championships in a row. Yep. Yeah. So the Grand, Final Grand Final F- F- Series. No, but this is last of Grand Final Series. 23 of the past 24 in, have they've won game one. In, Grand, 16, Final six, in Grand Final Series.
2: Grand Final Series. And a lot of that... I have a slightly different view... Uh, in the importance of that because I came through a, a, an era when I was playing the the overwhelming majority of finals in my 20 odd years, whether it was semifinals, quarterfinals, or was uh, away home home. Right. Now this is the same thing. It's just a longer series. Okay. And usually um, even in, in, in that type of situation that you, uh, you know, usually the team that, that finished higher and then had the better record would still get, get the win. And in those circumstances you talk about in the last, whatever it is, years, usually it has been where the high-ranked team got the first home game. Mm. So to me, I don't read as much into a lot of those statistics um, because it's usually reflecting the better team throughout the evidence of the better team throughout the course of the, the season usually gets, gets the win.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, I think that, that it's more how the impact that it can have you on you psychologically. If you go in there and, and uh, you drop those first two games and coming back and then thinking, well, we've got now got to beat the Perth Wildcats three times in a row. I don't care where you're playing to beat a team three times in a row is difficult. Mm. Um, So, so, and how you deal with that, the um, psychologically with the issues that that brings um, is, is significant in a perfect world. Ideally. No, I don't want to go away and play two games and then three (laughs) games in a a perfect world. Mm. But, and I think it's the reason why both Melbourne United and the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix agreed to it is, is yeah, they understand the environment we live in the challenges that we face, But I I also think there's a realisation that that's not going to be the determining factor. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to, it's going to ultimately come down to how we perform, how we're playing and sure there's some home court advantage. There's no greater home court advantage than the Perth Wildcats um, primarily because they've had exceptional talent for 30 years. So I think that it's not ideal if you're Melbourne United, but, uh, I don't, they, clearly, they're not fearful of it, having won already twice. And it was only a few weeks ago that they got the win. And uh, I don't think that that's going to be the major or the most determining factor
1: of who wins this series. Damon, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think what Melbourne have gone through in the last month in particular is probably harder to have gone through than playing at RAC for back-to-back games for a grand final. It's a grand final. The, the the flight won't matter, the quality of the hotel won't matter, the food won't matter, how their niggling injuries are feeling won't matter. It's a grand final, so the better team is going to win this championship regardless of whether it's played here or abroad. And we're just fortunate, to be honest. I would, they'll be glad they're going to play out and win a grand final. It doesn't matter where it starts. So whether Perth have to go to Melbourne and close it out, whether Melbourne get to go home to close it out. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to see two incredible teams. And despite what we make of it in the build-up to it, once that ball's thrown up, you know, it doesn't matter where it's played. Uh, to an extent, don't get me wrong. I know there's home court yeah. advantage, things like that. And if it was a one-off game, I'd say this is incredibly unfair. But for a best of five, either Perth, they're going to have to eventually win in Melbourne or Melbourne can close it out there. But it's it's going to work that the better team wins, I think, in the end.
0: Having said all of that, do, do either of you guys feel like you like Perth's chances to either win or be more competitive in this series because they have the first two at home than you would have if those first two games were, were in John Kane Arena or at a neutral venue like like Sydney. Do you feel like it's a bit of a boost for the Cats coming into the series? No, I don't. Uh, a little bit, maybe, because, you know, you, you've got fans. You, they're
2: going to have 15,000 fans or whatever it may be uh, screaming for them. And anytime you're playing with 15,000 people on your side, it helps. Mm. It helps in your own morale. It helps in, in the spirit. It it helps on 50, 50 calls. It helps in a variety of different ways. So of course that, that is, that is helpful, but I I don't, um, I don't see it as being such a huge decision that all of a sudden it neutralizes and Melbourne
0: United's advantage. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, they've still I, got three games, if required.
2: They've still got three games, and most importantly, they've still got exceptional talent. And <laughs> as Damo alluded to, it doesn't play that game anywhere. It's a grand final, mm-hmm. and it, it, you, you you understand what's at stake, and all those little things that if this was a mini series in the middle of the season, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. maybe it has a, a, a greater significance. But not, not for a grand final series, I don't believe anyway. But maybe that's, that's easy when you're sitting here.
1: <laughs> I've of learned not to use statistics when it comes to Wildcats versus Melbourne. I remember interviewing yeah. uh, Dave Anderson and I was trying to set him up a little bit because obviously I've known QE a number of years. I was like, Dave, you won 13 championships around the world. You won an NBL title. The one win you haven't had is here at RAC arena. And anyway, Melbourne went on to, you know, beat the Wildcats that night and that, that record was over. So Melbourne aren't fearful of playing in Perth. They won a couple of times. And, uh, and even though the record's against them, uh, they're going to be incredible tomorrow
0: night. Let's talk about the possession game. Um, Damo, we talked before about, you know, defence winning championships. The great Pat Summit took that in a different direction a, a while back said, offence sells tickets, defence wins games and rebounding wins championships. These are the top two rebounding teams in the league. Melbourne first in defensive rebounding percentage, Perth second. Perth first in offensive rebounding percentage, Melbourne second. Uh, Last time these two teams met a few weeks ago, Damo on the call, we were talking to you at halftime and you said Trevor Gleeson will be talking to his team in the sheds about the issue on the glass. Melbourne didn't let John Mooney get a single offensive rebound the whole night, kept him to five boards for the game. How important is the battle of the
1: boards to this series? Oh, it's it's massive. This is where Magne really has to step up. And if he just gets 10 rebounds, 15 rebounds, doesn't score a point and he sets good screens, give him MVP of the finals if the Wildcats go on to win it, because it's all about the possession game, because one, The Wildcats, while they're running the offences they are, it's because they have to take predictable shots. Mm -hmm. Blanchfield's been a superstar all season. Clint can get going. But at the end of the day, we need to be taking predictable shots so we can crush crush glass. Bevo used to say, when it comes to the possession game, if he gets 10 possessions to my three, and he'd be saying this to Kev Lish, he goes, if I get 10 possessions and you only get three, I'm beating you in one-on-one. We're like, no, you're still not. You're still not. (laughs) But when it comes to Perth versus Melbourne, If Melbourne has even the same amount of possessions as the Wildcats, just with their skill, just with their depth, I think they're going to get it done. But if Perth can can win that possession count with rebounds, steals, whatever, loose balls, whatever it may be, they're a real chance and they will pride themselves on crashing the board at both ends and knowing how important it is to the overall result.
0: Drury, that, that brings us, I think, to that, to the John Mooney versus Jock Landau matchup the two inside frontline guys from the all nbl first team marquee matchup of this series when when melbourne united went down 05 to start the game in round 21 the pink game a couple of weeks ago that dean vickerman called a timeout and he went straight to jock landau out of that huddle because he saw that the wildcats were playing him single coverage down low and he went to work and he and he got a bucket and he they had to change their coverage early in that game and start Doubling In that game, Mooney had seven points and five rebounds. As I said before, zero offensive rebounds. Jock coming into this series in incredible form, coming off maybe the best game of his career with what he did in game three. He spoke after that game saying, I've never been mm. in that kind of zone where I felt like nobody could stop mm. me. What do you make of this matchup and how crucial is it to this series?
2: No, it's huge. It is, it's huge. And um, I think it comes down to, in the, the, the comments that you're making during the question is more to do with what type of schemes that you're going to run mm-hmm. and um, how in which you're going to deal with the strengths of, of both those guys. We saw that any on ball and, and, and jock and, and you, 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 you're in that drops or you're, you're trying to blitz and you kick it back and you don't rota- rotate on, on the jock lander. He knocked him down. He was yeah. knocking them down. And, and, and if, if not for those, uh, that perimeter shooting in that second term in particular, it's a couple of vital, vital possessions where he's able to knock down those threes. It uh, would have changed the, the um, maybe not the result, but it certainly would have changed the, the nature of the game. Mm. Um, so how you're doing with that, do you switch on those on ball screens to, to, to curtail Jock? I think that, ultimately jock is, is a little bit more aggressive on the three-point line he will look for his shot a little bit more than mooney mooney can is shown you, i think throughout the course of the regular season he was a 50 percent shooter mainly because he never really took bad shots mm-hmm. he was only taking what from the three-point line what was given to him so they're, they're, they're both elite players but when you're talking about the defense that each of these guys are going to play on it if it's just a one-on-one contest well well it's a flip of the coin but it, it's it's so much more than that more than that in how you're going to contain those guys with with what strategies you're going to use and both these teams will probably have a plan a b and c how, how do we deal with these guys on the low post how you deal with them in a, in an on ball situation and see how it's going we're helping out we'll we'll stunt at jock we'll stunt at mooney and get back and make him make a couple of threes if they start knocking them down we'll switch They'll do all these different things. But ultimately, the form of both those two guys and how in which those two guys play, I think that um, the Melbourne United got a little bit more margin for error. That if, if, if Jock Landale is not elite like he was the other night, they've still got enough depth to, to, to find other ways in which to, to compensate for that. I don't think the Perth Wildcats, certainly from an, an offensive standpoint... They don't have that same margin of error as what uh, Melbourne United have.
1: Yeah, I think if, if Landau and Mooney are both superstars during the series, but they cancel each other out, that's a win for Melbourne because of that. Perth need Mooney to be the best big on the court every single game, mm. uh, because you know they can Melbourne can rely on ten other guys mm. to be the leading scorer that night. Perth need Mooney at his best and canceling out Landau and bettering him. Damo
0: do you think that the the series will open the first five, 10 minutes of game one with both Vickerman and Gleason implementing single coverage on those two guys down low like Drew is saying stunting help digging on the on the bounce but no no double on the catch no double on the bounce to begin with see if their guy can handle the other guy down low and stay out of rotations or do you think one comes in with with a different approach to that?
1: No, I think they'll back their guy to stop them initially and then work backwards from there. The, the, the reality is, if you go and dig on, and they might just for a one off, a quick hit, we're going to double in the Landau, we might double in the first time he touches the ball. Who are you leaving open? You're leaving McCarron who knocks it down, you're leaving mm-hmm. Gould. You don't want any of those guys to get going. Mm. So it's, you know, other teams, I remember when Nate Jawa used to touch it boom, first touch or first dribble, we're going. But that's because his teammates weren't as good at three-point shooters as what Melbourne will have out on the perimeter spacing the floor. So they'll back Mooney to get the job done. Uh, you know, obviously, they'll they'll be wanting a little bit more out of their their bigs as well, so that Mooney doesn't have to guard in the whole game. And uh, and we'll go from there. But yeah, don't be surprised if you see double teaming at times. But it's going to be dependent on who's spacing the floor uh, for Melbourne.
2: And I think Melbourne United will be inclined to double a little bit more than Perth. Uh, and and you know I know from when we played when I'm coaching the Sydney Kings and we're playing the Perth Wildcats, we, we, we're gonna we're gonna come off Damo. We're gonna come off uh, Mitch and 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 say we'll we'll beat us. But bugger me, you look at their percentages, or, or even a guy like Kevin White, you look at their percentages and say, well, this is a good gamble. This is the odds are going to be in our favour to do this. But as I said during the commentary, it's remarkable how many times under those circumstances that those guys in big, big situations mm-hmm. will will make a big three. Mm. It's kind of like the guy that maybe a subpar sort of average free throw shooter, but down the, the last two minutes of the game, they somehow or other figure out a way to knock down free throws. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Damien destroyed my coaching career and won Freaking three-point field goal attempt that centred into overtime with seven seven seconds to go. Not that I have lost sleep over it.
1: You took the bait gazy for twenty-four games prior to that. I'm <laughs> like, no, 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 I'm going to intentionally miss this. I'll <laughs> sense of security. <laughs> so that when there's a three-point game, I'll, I'll get. Uh, but, um, um, yes, but they did. They they do it,
2: and I think that that you see that with some of the Wildcats guys, and that they'd be wanting to take those risks. Um, as opposed to just leave Mooney in, the, in, in, in that situation. Whereas I don't, like Damo referred to, it's very hard. It's a big decision you've got to make because of the, the guys that Melbourne United have out there. That mm. you, it, It's a little difficult to make that decision to leave guys and, and take the odds and stunt and rely on rotations as, um, because of the
0: talent they have. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that was, of course, that's one of the amazing things that Bryce Cotton does. This is why I call him a, a scheme bender in terms of teams' defensive schemes, is he just so quickly possession after possession puts teams in rotations because they have to hard show that this is why the Sydney Kings didn't want to do it. That's why under Will Weaver, they implemented that drops coverage so much. So let's stay out of rotations and and force him into shots that we want him to take, but he made them. Um, I wonder whether Dean Vickerman looks at this Perth team right now and say, well, this is the beauty of it. With Bryce not out there, we don't have to get into those spaces defensively. Let's let's just leave Jock to do his thing to begin with on Mooney. Let's make sure we stick on Blanchfield's inside hip as he comes off those down screens and lets everybody just stay straight up because from there, we're in defensive rebounding position. We can block out and make sure we we clean up the glass. And I think that takes us, Drewie to the Golding Blanchfield conversation that the, the knockdown perimeter shooters the, the primary guys for these two teams because those two guarded each other when the, the rotate the matchups changed a little bit with Bryce going out it used to be Cotton that would guard Golding when these teams matched up now those two guys Blanchfield and Golding guard each other a couple of weeks ago in round 18, Golding went into the jungle and he blew the game apart in the first half. 26 mm-hmm. points, ended the game with six threes. Blanchfield in game three against Dillawarra the other night had 21 points in the opening half. Maybe his finest performance in a game three decided to get to the grand final. What do you make of that, that matchup? We know Golding is a grand final MVP from 2018. Is Todd Blanchfield ready for this grand final moment? Oh, he,
2: he's absolutely ready. Um, I think in that that twenty-one point first half, he was ten of ten from the free throw line. You know, he he yeah, he hit some shots, but he got to the free throw line, and that is that is a, a big factor. And the work that you've got to do with um, guarding Todd or Steindl or the work that you have to do in, w- with their system in chasing guys around, and that's designed by the system. Uh, whereas down, what I think the difference between these two players is Chris can come down and take what most people would consider ill-advised shots and still make them. Mm-hmm. And he can come down and in that zone. He can do things with a, a, an unconstructed situation and and um, get in a zone, which is very hard to, to deal with. Todd, I think as we've seen with the Perth Wildcats in particular, he can come down and in transition knock down shots, but he, his stuff's coming more from structure, more from designated plays. And, you know, a lot of people that I speak to look at Melbourne United and say they need to run more plays. They need more structure for Chris, Mm. Um, but, but they have so many different options that it's a different uh, setup. And I think Dean has found that balance, uh, well with with Chris. So yeah, those two are going to um, have a a big say in it. It is difficult to chase Chris Golding around coming off those screens. It is a tough, tough assignment for anyone. Uh, And if it's just a matter of unlike with Chris, if it was Damo or Mitch, if you've got those guys on them, you're saying stay on his hip. We're going to fight through screens. We're not going to come forward to help. We're not going to switch. It's just you balls out you get the job done, you can do that. I don't think you can do it and give Todd Blanchfield that same assignment. That's not that's not his strength. That's mm. not what he does. Mm. So I think with Chris, guarding Chris, it's going to have to do, be more reliant on how you're going to deal with that from a team standpoint. Yes, you need those individual assignments and there's going to be certain actions that we're just going to say, you have to get this done. And Todd can get that done but when he's coming off one or two screens or when you're in a situation where you've got to help and recover, that's going to be, that. that's going to require uh, more team concepts than it would be if, um, you know, and how Mitch the assignment you can give Mitch or when Damo in his day or some of the other guys that they've had.
1: Damo, what, what do you make of that? Oh, look, I, I agree because the thing you got to remember is Nordos you know, the Wildcats' best offender and he's definitely going to spend some time on Goulding. But on the flip side, Norto is also the point guard that's going to be facing 90-foot pick-up defence from Baba, from Illy. Like, over the course of five games, there's going to be mental fati- or physical fatigue. And so you can't expect Norto to spend 40 minutes on Goulding every single game because the amount of pin-downs, the amount of sets they will run for him and he's going to get around screens, so on and so forth. So it's going to come down to Blanchfield being able to get stops even though he's on that team to put the ball through the hoop, in particular now that uh, Bryce is out. But at the end of the day, like I said, that the way the Wildcats have to play in order to be able to win a championship is a huge focal point on keeping it in the 70s, maybe the low 80s, because you don't want to play a 90-plus point game. If, if the tempo is high-paced, if there's plenty of possession, if there's a lot of kicker heads, it's you know, in, well in favour of Melbourne United because they can keep that tempo, at times, you know, when they beat the Wildcats, they'll go on three on, three off. Like, I, mm. I thought I was watching junior basketball at some stage, but yeah. they didn't lose anything because of their depth. The Wildcats, unless they get a good early look, they're going to start shooting the ball, you know, after 20 seconds because they want to keep a low possession game, crash the board and play that pace, that, you know, range with the points. But uh, it's, a, it's a big ask because if Golding's not got it going, Mitch McCarran's second team, all NBL, we've already spoke, spoken about Landau, We haven't even mentioned Hobson. (laughs) Like, if Hobson's out there going, who's going to guard him? Um, So it's a headache that the coach of the year has to face in Trev Gleeson. But they'll try, you know, presses. Uh, They'll do their 24 red, which is their full-court press. They'll try the occasional zone, not much of it. But at the end of the day, it's going to be one-on-one defence where you're hoping you're playing topside and they revert to a different option opposed to getting clean looks for a golden. Mm. And
2: they they can't... If this game, if any of these games are in the 90s, good luck, Perth. Oh, I'm, oh. 90s plus is going to be really, really hard mm-hmm. for the Perth Wildcats. Pure and simply because, one, the way they're playing. And two, and this is, this is not being disrespectful because they have, everyone has different skill levels and, and talents. I can't see how with the defense of Melbourne, you're going to, United are going to play. Who is it that's going to get you those points on the Wildcats? it's not there whereas you look at the, the skill sets of Melbourne United you can easily see even with good defense you can easily see that the talent often prevails and there's enough talent offensive talent that they that they are easily going to be able to get over the 90s mm. they must perth must control the tempo to keep, and they do that with their offense in order to keep it in the 70s or 80s mm. or else it is a a very risky gamble to get out and try and push the tempo against Melbourne United right now. G-
1: Gazy was the man that said great offense will always be great defense. <laughs> and now you've got a guy who I dare say is going for <laughs> Melbourne. And I think everyone knows who I'm going for and, and probably our different strengths. Oh
2: no. See, that's what happens when you start picking on Gazy. <laughs> I don't mess around. You coming to me with that rubbish that Damo is about to dish up. I just say the the, the gremlins, Shut him down. Ta-da, Damo.
0: We've <laughs> lost Damo from, from the call. I'm sure he'll jump back in in a moment. So, Drew, we'll, we'll plough while on we, while we wait for him. Um, yep. he, he talked a little bit about uh, um, Scotty Hobson there. Yeah. Bola Wala another huge X Factor because, you know, he's best six man of the year and he's come yep. in and been a game changer. Came in and had 14 points against the Wildcats when they last played a few weeks ago. But Perth have a couple in their own right. I mean, we don't expect to see a different Will Magne in this grand final series than we've seen over the past four or five weeks. But we also know what we've seen from him previously. And if he can take a couple more steps in that direction, it's going to be massive for that team. Mitch Norton as well, the the heroic performance for him in game three, he didn't play when these teams last met a few weeks back and Perth only scored 64 points. He helps them in a big way at both ends of the floor. And then the other one, of course, is Luke Travers, who has been a revelation in recent times. What what do you see from those other parts of the Perth lineup that we haven't perhaps spoken about as much?
2: Oh, really important pieces. And uh, Mitch Norton in particular, those, I think he had 15 points in game three. um, And it's not just the 15 he scored himself, it's how he creates for others, how he runs the team, gets everyone else shots. Uh, Those elements uh, need to kick in. Uh, Luke Travers, as you mentioned, he has just been sensational. The composure, the maturity. Um, I'm watching him, and 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 this may seem like a bit of a stretch to some, but I see a, I see a better ball handling Sam McKinnon mm. in 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 the way he plays. Needs a bit of work on his shot, but can shoot it. But just the smoothness in the way which he gets around the floor. He is. Um, you know, they're, they're a little different, but I do see elements of, of him and what he's capable of and uh, his ball handling uh, in particular, the way in which he can get to the rim, craft the bounce, and they need that. Mm. The, the structure, things going to break down. Your structure can only get, take you so far and then your individual skills and your ability to cre- create shots. Um, and Will Magne, he has not been what the, I think they'd hope he would be as yet. Mm. But right now... Uh, he comes out and does what we all know he's capable of doing at both ends of the floor. And I, I kind of agree more uh, with what Damo was saying a little earlier. Dominate the boards, protect the rim, and be uh, an annoyance on the defensive end, and you've done your, your job. Offensively, yeah, we'd love to see you you make somebody He made a couple of big, big threes in that game three against um, game two against Illawarra. Uh, and, but it, that, that right now you're almost treating as a bonus to a certain extent. they would be hoping that they'd be getting 10 and 10 out of him. Mm. Uh, what we've seen, the 10 rebounds is more realistic than provided he can stay out of foul trouble than the, than the 10 points. But, um, you know, he's still got the ability to, to deliver that. And, and sometimes with a different matchups, different assignments that, that might open up some more opportunities for, for Will as well. But, those guys are going to be critical. The other one I think that has been superb that um, does a, plays an incredibly important role that doesn't always get the accolades is Jesse Wagstaff. You know, he comes in and provides that maturity, knows where people are supposed to be, knows uh, how uh, the right time to, to be making decisions about who the ball needs to get to. Uh, And also on the defensive end can be as annoying as all hell. And that's what they need. So I think that he is going to play
0: a a big part in in the outcome as well. Damo is still sorting out his technical difficulties. Hopefully he jumps back in and he learned his lesson. Hopefully. Well, that's it. He's he's clearly, (laughs) I thought we only suspended him. I didn't
2: realize that (laughs) we completely outlawed him. But um, Um, he's welcome
0: back. uh, Will Magnus started. Through the semi-final series, at, at the four spot or in that front line alongside Will Magne, do, do you uh, think, John Mooney uh, yeah. alongside John Mooney? Do you think Trevor might be tempted against this Melbourne United team to go? Okay, look, it's Mason Petling in that starting lineup. I'm going to match up against him with Jared Besto. Mm. and I'm going to bring Will Magne off the bench so that I have that right guy coming in at the same time as Joe Lawala chilled down the other end of the floor.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that um, you're right with the matchups and how you work out your timing and get your guys involved and who, how you got your rotations to deal with certain matchups. I think to start with that both these coaches are going to be more proactive and that is not worrying so much about what the opposition and the, the, the matchups we want to be able to set the tone of how we're going to play offensively and defensively and in particular, the Wildcats, relying on their system, both offensively and defensively, and saying, well, let's just see what they throw at us, and we'll go in there believing that this is the best formula and we've got the matchups right. So I think that, to start with, that they'll be more proactive, but we've seen with both these coaches, Mm. they are more than willing to make adjustments on the fly. And Melbourne United have got perhaps a, a few more alternatives that they can go to than the Perth Wildcats, but gee whiz, you see... Um, some of the combinations that we've seen uh, that Perth have thrown out there throughout all these series. And even in Trevor and his coaching staff's far-fetched imagination at the start of the season, I don't think that he would have thought come a semi-final or a grand final series that some of the combination, the personality is using, I don't think that they would have envisaged that at the start of the season, mm. but the circumstances um, have brought that about. So, uh, and have proven to be successful. A lot of players stepping up in different moments. And Luke Travis is another one. Sure, we're going to start him, but, you know, he's not going to play starter minutes. But now, because of necessity, he's playing starter minutes start of minutes, and showing that he's absolutely worthy of it. So, mm-hmm. um, who starts? Sometimes we get a little bit caught up with that. And mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying in regards to how you rotate your guys in and... Um, and the matchups. But I think that, um, you know, you look at Will Magne and he played 18 minutes. I think it was in game two and wouldn't have been much more in game three. Mm. Uh, so he's not, they're, they're doing that spot by committee more than they are with just a, a, a an individual guy anyway. So mm. in their circumstances, who starts is probably not as relevant as it is for some of the other teams.
0: Mm. And he may just, just set him the challenge of saying, look, Let's see if Mason Peatling can keep you off the offensive boards. Correct. Go and out there and gobble up three offensive boards in that first five or six minutes and set a tone for us.
2: Correct. And and, and how you can, um, like say, on the boards or or even, you know, I know we haven't seen it with Will Magnate in a Perth Wildcats uniform, but whether it be even on the box, as a passer at a distributor or even as a scorer with that size down low, that could be something they see As worthy of going to 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 test your opponent as well. So, like I said before, I think both these teams will go in there really proactively, rather than thinking too much about what um, you know specific matchups or where where we feel like there might be at a disadvantage or an advantage. Mm -hmm. Thinking, hey, we feel like we've got the advantage here Mm. across the board. We'll find out and,
0: and and make the adjustments as as the the series unfolds. You spoke about Jesse Wagstaff before. He's moving into some really impressive historical space right Right. now. He's about to become the first player in history to play nine grand final series. Extraordinary. And he's, he's trying to become the first guy ever across the history of the NBL to win seven championships as a player and if he does that he's going to have done it all at the same club yeah you know there's and I'm not diminishing at all but you know like um and it it is in its own right impressive to do what (laughs) say CJ Bruton or David those guys did and go from here to there and win championships wherever you go but in its own right it's unbelievable to do what Jesse has done and what Damo did prior but to go to, to potentially Stand alone at seven championships. Pretty incredible what he's about to try to achieve.
2: It it is extraordinary. And I think it's an example. And again, this is no disrespect because that that record speaks for itself. And it's not like he's been a bits and pieces player. He has been a significant part of all those championships. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think what he's been able to do though is I don't think that the role that he's play that he plays um, is for everyone. It's not his skill sets is not something I think would necessarily be as appreciated or be as impactful with every system. Certain players you say, I don't care what system you're in. You're going to be really, really good. Mm. He is one that has uh, understands his role uh, has got a system that's, that's really suited to, to what he does. And uh, they've been able to maximise that within the program. He has given to the program as much as the program is given to him. Mm. And, and I think that that is um, credit to all those involved, and, and in particular, how in which uh, Trevor has been able to, to utilise him and utilise his skill sets as he's evolved, gotten older, and still being able to maximize what he brings to the table. And he, and again, like I said, I think that he is going to be a very significant part of uh, the Perth Wildcats quest for their next
0: title, a three-peat. Mm. Um, that's another historical thing that we could spend some time on their three-peat, but uh, let, let's start to wrap it up. Demo yet to make his Mate, I didn't. Is he, have we offended him? I'm not sure. I thought we I think, gave him good air time. We gave him enough, enough love. <laughs> I think he had some, maybe some low battery issues in his phone as well, and truly cooked mm-hmm. it. And maybe yeah. he's waiting for the charge to to jump back. But it, it wouldn't be a grand final preview without getting into the sort of predictions, right? You know, yep. which we the, both of us, all of us will no doubt look back on and yep. and feel stupid about at some stage, like I do about yep. the Wildcats this entire season. But we don't well,
2: one thing we won't be doing yes, is making claims that require us to tattoo on anyone.
0: <laughs> there, well, Damo's oh just- hold on, hold on, hold on a second, he's back. Oh hey. hang on. I'm gonna have to Gee wish. Yeah, we said no, the car. Too. Oh my goodness.
1: Oh, I mean- there, gotcha.
0: Oh,
1: hang gotcha. On. oh, yeah. Well, hang on. I can hear you, but now there's also music playing. We I mean, figure out kids and their technology these days. I'm really sorry about that. You're going to school pick up. Oh, no, my phone died, and now I'm with my wife. <laughs> um, we're going to go do a work errand, but I'm like, I can't believe it died. And of all the points I was trying to make about the importance of defence, it, it was fitting that it died at that stage.
2: <laughs> oh, I, I, I shut you down, mate. I wasn't going <laughs> to allow any of that rubbish. <laughs> Get on the air. On the air. Uh, sorry man. I'm,
0: I'm,
1: I'm man. charging. I'm good to go.
0: Good, man. Well, let's, we're, we're wrapping it up. We're, we're in the where it's we're a grand final be, preview, so we're in the prediction grand. space. So let's just hear from you. Demo. Before we wrap up, champion, number of games, grand final MVP, and the, the the way in which you feel like the championship will be won.
1: Oh, look, I'm I'm clearly biased. I'm the first to say that, and doesn't matter whether I'm talking with my head or my heart. The only words that are going to come out are a walkout championship. <laughs> um, I I know that they are up against the wall. And if they go on to win this championship, it should be considered their greatest of their... Well, it'd be 11 if they win it because of the adversity they face with no Bryce Cotton, who is undoubtedly their best player, obviously. So I'll still go the Wildcats. No one is going to sweep Melbourne United. So Melbourne are going to win some games. I'll take it to game four. They they win both games at home. They manage to snag one on the road. It's one because they they keep the scoreboard in the 70s. And so with that in mind, the the person that's going to go, the the most important role to achieving that is Mitch Norton. So I'll grow grand final MVP, Norto, (laughs) 3-1. <laughs> I feel like Gaze is trying to laugh in my face. But he's no, trying no. not to, to no, be polite. No, uh, and, and no he's listening intently. Yeah, um, um,
2: oh, I think Melbourne United will win. Any team that's only lost eight games throughout the course of the regular season mm-hmm. uh, deserves to go in a- as the favourite. Oh, I think they've just got a little bit too much depth and they can wear you down across a five-game uh, series. They can wear anyone down. and I think we saw uh, the impact that Jock Landale is having on the season. He mm. hasn't perhaps, perhaps been given the individual recognition because of the team that is in the system that Dean Vickerman builds, and it, it it doesn't always lend itself for that individual recognition. But uh, all of them have bought into this the end game and 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 winning a championship, and he has as well. Uh, but when when it's needed most. And there is no greater example of that than game three against the Phoenix. Uh, you need your stars to step up. And Jock Landale, he, he led from the front. So I think that they are going to win in four. I think that they'll split in Perth. Uh, that, that Perth will get one. The Wildcats will get one in Perth. And then they'll come home and uh, take care of business three games to one.
0: Wow. Apologies
2: to the Martin family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I feel yeah. similarly. We get Damo's. I'm uh, mute now. We can't quite hear. But I, I feel similarly. Is, I think. Uh, think uh, in think, fact, yeah, Damo, just put you yourself back on mute for a mute. moment for because a a moment. Moment. the echo is strong. Very I strong. Uh, I feel four games. Yep. I think they're going to split in in Perth. Come back. Melbourne will get um, the advantage when they're here. I'm going to go for Scotty Hobson as grand final MVP. Mm. The Larry Sengstock medalist. I think Mooney and Landale. That's a tough matchup for both of them. I think uh, Golding, Blanchfield, that's tough. McCarron and Norton at the point guard spot. I think the depth of Melbourne United, Joe Lawala, Chul, Shay Yealy, Scotty Hobson, these guys coming off the bench is probably what's going to get them over the line. And Hobson's in a great space right now. He's super confident. They play off of him in that second unit. And I think he might uh, come up as a little finals MVP chance.
2: So a six man is going to be an MVP.
0: Have we seen that before?
2: Not that I can recall, but I like where you're heading. He's not really a sixth man. You look at his minutes play in the finals, he's playing starter minutes, but you're right, he is coming off the bench. So that would be something different. But, um, oh, well, we'll see.
0: We'll find out. Final word from you, Damo.
1: You're on mute, mate. He's on mute. He's on mute You're today, on mate. mute. There you go. on mute again. You there have you to listen to me. I can control it now. It's <laughs> funny that when Gazy was giving his predictions, we were actually driving past RAC Arena. And so between oh. talking about the game, seeing the arena itself, my four-year-old calls at Wilbur's house after the mascot, <laughs> driving past Wilbur's house. Look, I just can't wait for the, the finals to begin. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a, a match-up tomorrow night. It's going to be a packed RAC Arena. So much talent out there on the court and I'm hoping my prediction is right. But uh one of us is gonna have bragging rights. And if I don't pick up the phone in in a week's time or so, Drewy, uh <laughs> no. I acknowledge you got it correct and I was wrong, but I won't say that over this over the phone.
2: No, no. I, hey, I, I really I have no skin in the game whatsoever. It's it's got nothing to do with that. And in fact, um I love the way Trevor Gleeson goes about it. I love Dean Vickerman. he was my sister. I love him to death. I love him like a brother. But, but just as far as a system, it's, it's, it's different to how other teams play. Uh, it's something that I love to see variety in our game these days. I don't think we see enough of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I would be thrilled if Trevor and the Perth Wildcats would, were able to win for that, for that point alone. But, um, but having said that, I, I think that, that just uh, too much gun, too much firepower with the, um, although defence wins games, too much firepower in the <laughs> Melbourne United uh, outfit for the Perth Wildcats to cover.
0: Great stuff. Let's, let's wrap it there, fellas. So good for you to come on. Drewy, Damo, Brittany, it's been a blast. And uh, enjoy the grand final series. And we'll jump back on at some point soon to, uh, to debrief.